I like to make connections, make a difference to people's life without them even asking. And I think leaders must do things without people asking them to. And I think so much more we need to have leaders who are respected. Hello, everybody. My name is Andrew White, and you're listening to Leadership 2050, a podcast about leadership that's fit for the 21st century. Leadership is undergoing a profound revolution. Those who show empathy and lead on social issues will thrive in the years ahead. And in this series, you'll meet global leaders who are showing the way. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by someone who is not just an inspiration to me personally, and someone I have worked with, but someone I consider to be a good friend, Pinky Lalani. Pinky is a champion of women, a food guru, and an inspirational entrepreneur. She started her professional life as a self-taught chef and author. Today, she's at the helm of a global network of women leaders. Recognizing and developing human potential is her superpower. She is the founder and chair of a number of awards, recognizing influential women, including the annual Women of the Future Awards and the Asian Women of Achievement Awards. And in 2015, she was awarded a CBE for services to women in business. In our conversation, she shares her insights into leadership, including why kindness is critical to business success and how to meaningfully improve diversity in an organization. I began by asking Pinky to tell us about her work. So really it's about the empowerment of women and leadership. And woven into that is a bit of cookery too. So I actually set up the Asian Women of Achievements Awards 23 years ago to recognize um, role models and give a platform to Asian women and break the stereotypes that they didn't sit at home and just fry onion pudgers. Um, And I actually set up that program from around my breakfast table and used to walk the streets of London stopping people and saying, you're Asian, will you enter my award? So it had very humble beginnings and it's really grown. Uh, And then, you know, in 2006, I set up the Women of the Future Awards, which is to recognize inspirational women under 35, and then we went on to set up the network. We set up a school program called the Ambassadors Program. We set up what we like to think as a mini, mini uh, British version of Davos called the Women of the Future Summit, um, which we started in partnership with people like the Foreign Office and the Great Campaign. Um, Then we set up kindness and leadership. As Andrew, you know, kindness lies at the heart of everything we do. And so we set up kindness and leadership, 50 leading lights. But then we did something. We took a leap into the unknown. We actually took the programs to Asia. So we have the Women of the Future Southeast Asia. We have the Asia Pacific Summit. We have the Asia Pacific Kindness List. And most excitingly, we've launched our first truly global program, which is 50 Rising Stars in ESG for Women Under 35. Um, So that really summarizes what I do, but I also do a lot of work, um, like giving talks on leadership, but always with my walk, which may seem a bit of an anomaly to people, but I can take my walk and plug it in and make spicy Bombay potatoes at the end of talking about leadership. (laughs) Wonderful, and I think Pinky, what I love about what you've done is you have had so much impact in terms of, as you say, putting the spotlight on these amazing women leaders, these amazing women leaders in the Asian community, not just in the UK, but increasingly around the world. 
and you've done it with so little resource. It's a real amazing example of what somebody can do when they have vision, uh, when they have a belief, when they really want to make an impact on something. So can I take you back to before those days when you were walking around the streets of London, as you described yourself doing, and what were the events in your life that you feel really formed you? that really inspired you, that were learning points, might not necessarily have been easy. What, what shaped your values, your beliefs, that really created the platform for the work you're involved in today? I think values um, lie at the heart of everything I do. I often talk about, you know, somebody's once mentioned the eulogy virtues we have. And that's always been important to me, you know, the values of integrity, humility, compassion, empathy. And I think it actually goes back to my childhood where I lived in a home where my grandfather was a very well-known person in the community and even my parents lived by those values. So I think that's where I really began. But then having come to England and just been a yummy mummy for many, many years, standing outside the school gates to collect my children, having as many conversations as I could, I started doing a lot of voluntary work. And it was actually in the voluntary sector that I was inspired that how we could make a difference. So I was actually on the council of the Aga Khan and I was in charge, I had the portfolio for outreach. So that was where I really began to meet interesting people and I saw how connections um, and relationships actually help you to build um, programs and you can have impact. So it really began with my voluntary work. Uh, and the work I did in the community that set me off. And also, I must put at this stage, I used to be just hanging around the house looking for different things to do outside, and somebody one day knocked on my door, and it was uh, election time, and he was from the Conservative Party. And he stood there and he said, you know, I'd like you to vote for the Conservative. I had no idea. And because he was a nice guy, I started talking to him and said, I would vote. And he said, will you help us to kind of with our committee locally? So I actually became part of this committee, which was full of old, uh, women I was only like 32 then and I actually became a um, you know learned a lot of things being part of the local conservative committee and that was a real um, you know really drove my belief in leadership and how you can make a difference. So can I ask you for a moment just to think about some of the people that you've you met when they were when perhaps when they entered your award program and they received an award. What do you see happen when they get that recognition? What do you see happen when, in a sense, a world like yours honors them, sees them for who they are and who they might be? I'm really interested in the transformation that takes place in, in some of those individuals. And there's huge transformation and we see it with every award. I think for a lot of people, um, it kind of, strengthens their self-belief, um, they get um, a, a platform, they get to meet other people and I think their networks grow and we all know how important networks and communities are. It gives them, you know, also a lot of them then want to go on and do more things. So a wonderful story is how when, in fact, just last week, for instance, no, two weeks ago when we had the Asian Women of um, Achievements Award judging and there was this amazing scientist from Imperial and she's um, developing these micro sponges that soak up pollutants and oil from water and her work was inspirational. I didn't understand it properly, but I thought to myself, 
I know Liv Garfield, who actually is, as you know, the youngest CEO of a FTSE 100 company, she's head of Severn. And the same day I wrote to Liv saying, this, there's this woman from the Asian Women, she's doing research into something that could be of you know, interest to you. And within a day, Liv's team had got in touch with her and they're working with her. And she rang me up last week and said, it's changed everything for me. Suddenly, you know, I, it, the world is open. And that's what I see for them. They see the difference they can make just by the impact of the people they meet and the vastness of what we do. So it, it, we have so many stories, Andrew. They're, they're like, it's life-changing. And I know that sounds very grand, but so many of them have actually said it's changed their total you know, life journey. And, and this is so interesting, Pinky, because, you know, this is really a, a human potential movement that you've created. You, you bring the resources of the conferences, the resources of the awards or the resources of the networks. Um, and it really allows those who perhaps don't have access to some of those things to get to be acknowledged for the hard work they've put into their career so far and then just gives them almost rocket fuel to get to that next stage. And, and that that helps everybody um, because as you're describing in that situation that young woman's research then starts to go into a much bigger platform of, of seven the the water company um, which then can have huge impact positive impact on the world absolutely and i think you know it's also what i love about some of these people andrew they have no idea how, how amazing they are i see a lot of them have lack in, in a way they're obviously very passionate they're driven but actually just opening a door, they haven't had life experiences. And what you and myself have so much exposure to people. When you're like 23 and starting out, your networks are fairly restricted. And I think really being exposed to not only other participants, but our judges, for instance, you know, all kinds of people pick them up, hear their stories. Very often we'll be asked, because of the work we do, we've been asked to bring, you know, sometimes take 20 people maybe to Downing Street to have meetings so that they can actually share what they do. And it's a win-win. But actually, I remember taking every year for about four years, we used to take 30 people from our Asian Women of Achievement Award to the palace for tea because they're, the master of the household loved the women he met and he thought it'd be great for them to have a visit to the palace. And I remember this young girl from Huddersfield who came and she was going to the palace for the first time in her hijab from a Muslim family. And she said her entire family were waiting for her at home because they'd never, ever thought she would ever go to something like Buckingham Palace. And she said it changed her whole belief in herself. So, you know, small things, but huge impact. Mm -hmm. It's really amazing just listening to you. And, and it's amazing the, as I say, the, the resources that you've marshaled, which don't need a big organization. They don't need billions of dollars or pounds or euros of capital, but the impact is incredible. Can I ask you, given the place you're at and, you know, you meet a lot of people, you're involved in a lot of networks across business, across government, internationally, increasingly as well. When you look at the challenge facing the world, what do you see the biggest things are that leaders have to address? What's on the, the near-term horizon? What do you see the big opportunities? What are the risks? What does the future of leadership look like from your point of view? I think, you know, Andrew, I've thought of this quite a bit because quite 
by chance I became a leader. I didn't see myself as leader. And I have to confess, you know, you talk about the impact I've had. I've, people talk about my vision. I didn't start with any strategy. I had no vision. I get an idea and I want to do it like yesterday. And um, I realized that, you know, when I want to do something, I need all the people I know to help me. And that's what, you know, I stand on the shoulders of giants because so many people just open doors. And part of it goes back to my leadership is also very much based in my faith. So my philosophy of Islam is important to me because, you know, you have people like Khalil Gibran and Rumi who were great philosophers. And, and, you know, I go back to the philosophers to also be inspired. And there's one of them who says it's good to give when asked, but better to give unasked to understanding. And I always think of that. So I like to make connections, make a difference to people's life without them even asking. And I think when I think of leaders, I think they must do things that without people asking them to. And I think, again, leadership now, so much more we need to have leaders who are respected. I think that's what so many people have lost on the way with what's happened in government, with what's happened in politics. There's a lack of respect. And I remember when I was growing up, leaders were people we respected and that's why you followed them. So I think, again, you know, for leadership, it's about being authentic, of really being kind. I always talk about kindness, and I know that seems, again, sometimes out of place in the big picture, but I think it's become even more important. Out of all the programs we do, Andrew, we've, kindness is the one that so many people say, I want to be on that list. And we're very excited. Just, you know, what makes people listen to you is who's part of your you know, your orbit. So Jürgen Klopp was uh, on our kindness list. And when he held the trophy and it was put out there, a lot of people took notice, you know, Paul Pullman from Unilever. So I think kindness leaders have to be kind. They have to listen much more. Uh, and, you know, the, uh, to me, in leadership is all about really people, your values more than anything else. And I think you have to be great communicators because I'm always inspired by leaders who communicate well and that who have that mind that think way above what any of us can ever think of. So that's important for me is, um, you know, to look at in, in the leadership of the future. So what I hear you talk about is a, a strong spiritual motivation. Um, and this has been interested. We never set out to explore a spiritual dimension of leadership, but it, it's come up on so many of the podcasts in different forms. But when it manifests, it, it manifests regardless of the tradition. It manifests in service. It manifests in people and putting people at the center. It manifests in a higher purpose coming to an organization and question like, what is the organization serving and, and what are we here for? And I think this is why you're finding words like kindness, which historically have been alien, certainly to business, suddenly becoming part of the lexicon, suddenly becoming part of what's important um, and, and why you're getting so much traction with that work. Yeah, I think, you know, when going back to the spiritual dimension, you know, when you believe in something in a higher being, it gives you courage. You know, it gives you um, belief and faith and resilience. And so therefore that becomes so important. And I think kindness, the reason why people are really, after the pandemic, we realized how many people had such a hard time. 
and they they wanted kind leaders and sometimes being a kind leader is not just being you know obviously it's not about being a soft option it's about being upfront it's about being authentic it's about being honest um so i think leadership if if there's leadership without kindness it never goes long way there's no legacy one of our common friends professor lalajuri has said when you're a kind leader you go from being successful to being significant and you leave that legacy and and that for me is something that i always remember with great affection because that's what it's about so we've covered this slightly already but i just want to ask this question when you look across the leaders that are having real impact so you mix with a lot of people from royal families you mix with people from the elite of business and government are there people that stand out for you and obviously it's some of these principles we're talking about that they're manifesting but what really is significant for you when you look across the leaders of of today, maybe even across the younger generation and, and, and the ones that you think are going to have a really impactful role in the world as as time moves forward? I think, you know, for me, leaders are people, that, um, you know, who keep their word. And one person, for instance, you know, when you get in touch with them, they respond immediately, whether you're important or unimportant. An amazing person is Julia Gillard, who's, you know, was, is the ex-Prime Minister of Australia, and I've met her on a couple of occasions. And whenever I do get in touch, it's like an immediate response with a great deal of thought and with a lot of, um, you know, warmth. I love warmth in leadership. For me, that's a very, I don't like that cold kind of leader. I like leaders of compassion. In someone like Julie Brown, who's the CEO and CFO of Burberry, again, a woman who's so busy, but will always open a door. She'll always put herself in your place and try to make a difference. And again, will keep her word. You know, for me, that's important. Sir John Peace, again, who, who chairs our judging panel for women of the future, will always try to add more without you ever asking him. So he's got the vision, he's got an incredible you know, network, but he's actually using that for the greater good. So for me, those are the things that you know, really affect me. And every time I think of them, you want to go back to those leaders, you want to promote them, and you want people to think... Those are the qualities we wish more of our leaders had. Mm. And many of the the people in your network, the women in your network, are part of bigger organisations. Some of them are entrepreneurs, um, but many of them come out of large organisations. And so their success is about their own effort, but it's also dependent on the environment in which they sit. So I'm really interested in your view. When you look across all of these organisations... Which ones are really creating an environment, a culture which allow women to thrive? Because we know historically this has been has been difficult. What are they doing? Um, so from your point of view, in a sense, I'm really interested in the organizations that are doing an amazing job that, that, that complement what you're doing in terms of the diversity and inclusion activities that they're putting in place and the culture that they're they're creating. Yeah, I mean, we work with so many different organisations. They all have different levels of the way their culture is actually brought to the forefront. And um, I think a lot for these young women in these organisations is about having champions and mentors in there, people who believe in them, who give them opportunities. Um, And, you know, there's something that there's still so much. I was shocked to read uh, this morning in in an article about the misogyny that presented itself at the Aviva board meeting where the shareholders said 
some pretty misogynistic things and the chairman was appalled. So, and even though Aviva actually, to me, Amanda Blank is leading it, it's the most amazing organisation in doing a lot for diversity. They've been very supportive of our programme and at every level try to help us to actually end the women in there are involved. The London Stock Exchange Group is doing a lot too to help people and again are trying to put diversity uh, and inclusion in place. PwC is another one. Um, Accenture. A lot of these places are really trying to make a difference to women. But I think the ones where I have so many women who ring me up and say they're, they're having a really hard time and they want to move away. It's where the culture is one of uh, a lot of competition where it's so driven by just the bottom line that you actually don't have time. They're, they're, you know, they're the elite organisations where obviously the turnover is very important and sometimes they lose the human touch. And I must have had at least four or five calls in the last two weeks, women who are burnt out. And Andrew, that goes back to, you know, leaders, if we really want to have um, a society, an economy which thrives, we need to get the women on board and almost... All the women I know are really struggling with trying to have good childcare to be the best version of themselves. And I think till the government or organisations get childcare right, you're going to have that huge dropout taking place. And women are the ones who are really being marginalised. And it's come up much more in the last five weeks than ever before. Because I think, you know, Andrew, when we're actually, it's interesting, when we showcase our women, our winners, there are lots of people looking on and following us on social media. And it becomes aspirational for them to want to get the award to become part of this community. But then when they're trying to do it, they meet all these barriers of, you know, childcare, of misogynistic people in the organisation, of, you know, all those, and, and they struggle. And then they ring me up and say, you know, how can I be part of this? And, you know, and and uh, I always tell them, you know, women can have everything, but not at the same time. So we have to accept that sometimes you have to let something go for a little while to come out higher and, and in a better place. It's so, so interesting listening to you. Um, and, you know, I think your wisdom and insight into this is so appreciated because there's very few people who actually see that reality um, that you're seeing. So imagine I'm a CEO or I'm a senior leader of a large company and I'm listening to what you're saying and I want to do something about this. What would be your advice to me? Where do I start? I think, you know, I, I always think of that wonderful paper that Mark Granovetter wrote at Stanford about the strength of weak ties. I think when people go, you know, a CEO goes, he goes to the same usual suspects to try to find out more. I think you have to cast your net wide and go into different places that you would, wouldn't normally go into and be more creative and innovative. Uh, I know they go to the headhunters and say you have to give at least two women and two minorities and this doesn't work like that. It's not a box ticking exercise that everybody, you know, you just have these people and then, and they go to the same people. And that's why I think coming to organizations like ours, which have totally new blood coming up. I mean, just so exciting when I meet the young people. We had, we as I said, we launched ESG. And I was really afraid, again, as a leader, I thought, how do I get people from around the world? We only have good networks in, in the UK and in Asia. But, you know, Andrew, we've got 
um, nomination from all around the globe, from um, Brazil, Argentina, Liberia, Micronesia. And that was because other people helped us. So when we go to people very different from ourselves, they will introduce us to very different people. And I think that's where the CEOs need to think of really thinking differently and innovatively and turning their normal suspects into totally different and, and start random conversations. I always believe if a CEO walked the streets of London and spoke to people that he would never speak to, he's going to really pick some new ideas. So I talk to people on trains and buses, always asking them, you know that I'm, I love having people over. So on say for on Saturday, I had 35 women for lunch. Nobody knew each other. They were all from different sectors. But the collaboration and the ideas that came out were amazing. So going back to your CEO, again, I think they have to be brave. They have to take risks. They have to be courageous and actually promote some people because and follow their heart. I think for me, intuition and, you know, your beliefs are very, very important. So I, I think it's like really, really thinking totally differently. I think they've done the same thing for too long. And, you know, again, a very good example. Uh, I mean, um, I remember Mark Wilson was CEO of Aviva and that day we were having the judging at Aviva and one of our judges dropped out and uh, his head of HR went and asked him, Mark, would you be free to do judging uh, and meet these women under 35? And he had so many meetings and interviews, he actually cancelled them all and spent three hours meeting women under 35. And he actually, at the end of it, said it was one of the best days he had because he spoke to people at length that he would never have the time. And he said, I want to do this every year. But it, it just happened, so I think they need to have you know, go, go into roles where they go and meet younger people who are not in their organisation. I think that's important. Uh, it gives you a breadth that you wouldn't have otherwise. It is incredible what you're saying. I, I, I'm not sure, Pinky, you realise how wonderful you are. Oh. I'm not sure you realise the magic that you have because when you embody this curiosity, when you embody this interest in other people, you know, just as you're talking, these these initiatives cascade across the world um, because you're tapping into something which is, and I think language, I, I struggle to find the language to describe this, but there's something that awakens in people when somebody shows them this interest, um, whether it's a conversation in a taxi or a bus or, you, you know, or cascading through social media. Um, it, it taps into something innate that we want to be part of. And it's such a wonderful antidote to so much of the you know the nastiness that's on social media and the problems in the world when when you show this genuine curiosity genuine interest in other people it's like a light comes on um, and it's so wonderful to, to 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 listen to you and to and knowing how these networks work um, it's so wonderful to just get a sense of how this development of human potential takes place Andrew, you're too kind. You know, it, it really is that learning every single day. I want to learn, but I also want 
to be able to open doors for others to help them. And, you know, there's been talk about random conversations. I was sitting on a train. I love talking to people, so I started a conversation and told this guy about how I like to cook. He turned out to be from Lyon, you know, the, the big chain. And he was very interested in what I do. And I remember then he sent me, like, ten vouchers to go and try the food at Lyon. And so you, you just never know. I love those random, you know, when you expect nothing. And that's when the real magic takes place. So I spoke at the Association of British Surgeons in Liverpool. They were all talking about technical things, about hernia meshes and all, and I was the inspirational speaker. And one of the girls came up to me afterwards, and I walked with her to the station, and I actually invited her for the lunch on Saturday, and she's a junior doctor. And she came along, and I think, you know, somebody says, how can you just invite people you don't know? And, you know, how can you trust someone? I think, again, it goes back to leadership. To me, it's the trust is the biggest thing because when leaders trust their own judgment and others, you're not wasting any time because when you don't trust someone, you're always looking to see if they're doing what you think they ought to be doing. So, again, I think for me as a leader, I trust people very easily. Um, and you just want to give them the benefit of doubt and if you're warm and, and kind of yourself, um, it just flows, and I, I'm just totally, you know, uh, open about when you tell me nice things about myself because it's not it it means a lot to me. So thank you, Andrew. You're very generous. No, I know what I know what you're talking about. Though I mean, going back to meeting random people, I was talking to someone on a tube platform the other day, um, and uh, it transpires he just launched his own chili sauce company. Um, and I said, oh, that sounds really interesting. We had a good conversation. I said, how's it going? And he said, it's wonderful. He said, Can, do you mind if I take your address? And I said, of course. And, you know, you have to trust. And five days later, a bottle of the chili sauce arrived, which is wonderful. You know, I could have thought, well, why does he want my address? And so you have to make that judgment um, because you're handing over some personal data. But in I, I don't know, nine times out of 10, the world is a wonderful place. And, you, you know, you can see where that human connection comes through. So, Pinky, I'm going to end this podcast in the way that I've ended all the others with seven quickfire questions um, I've used with all my guests. So the first question is, which leader from history inspires you most? It's Rosa Parks, who didn't, didn't give up her seat on the bus. And, I, you know, for me, that it always has a very emotional ring. And then when you look at leaders today, who inspires you most? Well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who obviously has you know passed away, is, has been hugely inspirational. I loved her spirit and her, 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 you know, her achievements are just mammoth. So very, very big for me. Thank you. And the book that's made the most impact on your leadership? Um, I think Amy Cuddy has really, you know, she wrote about presence, and um, I, I just love that. I think it's so important. So Amy Cuddy has been my favorite book for a little while. And I'm going to rephrase this next question. So normally I ask, what characteristic do you look for in those you promote? Because you give more awards, I think, than you do promote people, I'm going to say, is there something that the really, really good winners have in common? I think obviously they're hugely talented, but I think what we love um, about the people we promote are those who think about others also. They, they think about what difference they can make to the world. It's not about just themselves. And humility is very, very important for me. You know, we never promote anyone who has a shred of arrogance. That, to me, is the most unappealing trait in, in the people we promote. So we always have people 
who have great humility and want to re really want to help others in their journey and be part of that journey too. And then when you look across the younger generation, what most inspires you about them? Their passion, their amazing uh, energy. And, and, you know, also so many of them are collaborative. They're kind. They're, they're absolutely believe in everything they're doing. So it's, it's that driving passion, their curiosity. Um, I, I'm just always so inspired by the young generation. It keeps me, I, and every single time I think I've met somebody amazing, somebody else comes along that has that and more. And also their ability to do so much at the same time um, and not be phased by any of it um, and step out of their comfort zone. You know, being young, you do that and when you're innovative, but really their passion, their driving energy. And then what makes you hopeful about the future? Again, it's all the people that we've met because I think really for me, uh, the future depends on on people and the people that we know who are part of our network have those values that are so important. It's not just their resume values, but those eulogy values, even at the young age, they're showing them. And that gives me such hope for the future, really, and the creativity and innovation they are going to bring into our lives. And then finally, at the end of the day, where do you go for your inspiration, your renewal? Well, again, you know, um, Andrew, I'm such a people's person that for me, the inspiration I get is from all these amazing people that I know. And, uh, you know, there's some wise people that I love talking to, um, to get their viewpoint on what they think. And there are some spiritual um, leaders who I kind of have aligned myself to. And, you know, they're, they're business people, but they have a spiritual angle. And I love to talk to them about it. And, and you know, for me, it's to walk. And um, really, music is such a great way also to get inspiration um, and travel. So, you know, my, my inspiration comes from thinking of... I love also part of me so much. I'm going on more than that quick fire thing. But how can we still do new things? So I'm still, when people tell me, when are you going to retire? And I think I'm having such a good time. Why would I want to retire? So it's again thinking of new ideas. How can I change the world? So keep on. My thanks to Pinky Lilani. My name is Andrew White, and you've been listening to Leadership 2050, a podcast from Side Business School at the University of Oxford. If you've enjoyed this episode, please spread the word, follow us, and maybe leave us a nice review. And don't forget, you can go back and listen to all my conversations with previous guests, including the Plastic Bank's David Katz and the Adara Group's Odette Excel. If you'd like to hear more from Side Business School, exploring leadership and how the business world is reimagining the future, visit oxfordanswers.org. Leadership 2050 is produced by Eve Streeter. Original music is by Cy Begg. Our executive producer is David Maguire for Stable Productions. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Emma Howard-Boyd, the former chair of England's Environment Agency. Until then, thank you for listening. <laughs>